Bringing you the latest in tax credit news, this is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratty. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 18, 2014. I'll start this week's podcast with a quick review of the most recent chapter in the periodic raising of the debt limit, and then I'll turn to recent testimony by the Director of the Congressional Budget Office on the budget and economic outlook for the period 2014 to 2024. In our low-income housing tax credit segment, I have information about potential Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac reform and a reminder about a property compliance webinar that Novogratz and Company is hosting later this week. In this week's New Markets Tax Credit section, I invite listeners to sign on to a letter requesting an extension of the New Markets Tax Credit program. I'll also share news from Kentucky about the governor's plan to double the credits awarded to the state's New Markets Tax Credit program. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I alert listeners to legislation introduced to extend the Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit to any project that begins construction by December 31, 2016. Finally, in our Historic Tax Credit section, I share a report from Virginia that shows the credit's statewide economic impact. If you're ready, let's get started. In general news... I begin with information about the debt limit. Congress last week voted to suspend the federal debt limit until next year, March 16, 2015 to be exact. This was accomplished in the following steps. First, the House passed the Temporary Debt Limit Extension Act last Tuesday. The Senate passed the bill on Wednesday, and the President signed the bill while in California at the end of the week. The bill was a clean bill in that it only raises the debt ceiling. It does not include any spending cuts or other legislative provisions. Also, as I mentioned last week, the Congressional Budget Office, or CBO, last Tuesday provided testimony about the federal budget and the country's economic outlook. Last week's testimony covered predictions for fiscal year 2014 through fiscal year 2024. The testimony was presented in conjunction with the CBO's release of the Budget and Economic Outlook 2014-2024 to report. The CBO releases this 10-year spending and revenue projection each year. The CBO bases its predictions on current law. It also provides an economic forecast for the same period. In this year's report, the CBO said that deficits will drop through the year 2015. The federal budget deficit for 2014 will total about 3% of the gross domestic product GDP. In 2009, the deficit was $1.4 trillion. In 2015, the deficit is projected to fall to under $500 billion, namely $478 billion, or about 2.6% of GDP. However, after 2015, deficits are predicted to start rising again. And as a consequence of these annual deficits, 
For all 10 years, the federal debt ceiling does rise every year. The economy is projected to grow at a solid pace until 2017. Real GDP is projected to grow about 3% between the fourth quarter of 2013 and the fourth quarter of 2014. The CBO also predicts that economic growth will be solid in the short term, but unemployment will remain above 6% until 2017. In 2017, the economy is estimated to begin slowing. Now, CBO will update its projections after President Barack Obama makes his budget proposal in March. Specifically, CBO is scheduled to update its projections again in August. The predictions provide Congress with a benchmark against which to measure the effects of proposed spending and tax law changes. I'll bring you updates about the changes in future projections and future podcasts. In the Senate, it is official. Senator Ron Wyden is now chair of the Senate Finance Committee. Right after taking the chairmanship, Chairman Ron Wyden was on the Bloomberg Political Capital television program, and he told host Al Hunt that tax extenders were a priority and should not be delayed simply to keep the focus on larger tax reform efforts. Senator Wyden specifically referenced the R&D, Research and Development, Credit, and Renewable Energy. I tweeted a link to the transcript of the interview if you're interested in more details. On the House side, rumors continue unabated that Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp will release a tax reform draft soon, possibly as early as next week. So stay tuned. I'll tweet updates as they become available. In affordable housing news, reports last week indicated that Congress appears to be seriously considering the subject of housing finance reform, as well as the future of government-sponsored enterprises Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. In the Senate, banking committee leaders are expected to release information this month about their plan to reform the GSEs and the mortgage finance market. Senate Banking Committee Chairman Tim Johnson, Democrat from South Dakota, and Ranking Member Mike Crapo, Republican from Idaho, began holding a series of hearings and meetings with industry stakeholders in 2013. Since then, they've also reportedly been working together on draft legislative text. On February 5th, Senators Johnson and Crapo issued a joint statement regarding their bipartisan effort to draft comprehensive housing finance reform. The statement said, in part, and I quote, With the hearing and information gathering stage behind us, our hard work continues as we dive deep into the drafting and negotiating phase of housing finance reform. We recognize that we must build a broad bipartisan consensus for an agreement to have a chance at becoming law, end quote. Meanwhile, in the House, Reports indicate that a trio of Democrats is also working on a housing finance reform proposal. The proposal being crafted by Representative John Delaney of Maryland, John Carney of Delaware, and Jim Himes of Connecticut, all Democrats, may not be public for a few months. In late January, Congressman Delaney indicated that lawmakers would collect input from colleagues and industry leaders before finalizing and publishing the proposal. As soon as we have more information on either proposal, and certainly, once they become available, we'll post them online at www.novaco.com. I'd like to take a moment now to tell you about Novagrad & Company's next low-income housing tax credit webinar. This Friday, February 21st, we'll be hosting a two-hour webinar on property compliance. The webinar will cover the compliance period versus 
the extended use period, compare the minimum set-aside test to the applicable fraction, discuss the full student rule, the available unit rule, and much, much more. This basic level webinar is perfect for on-site property managers, property asset managers, property owners, and others, both those new to the loan housing tax credit and property management, as well as those that could use a refresher course. You can register for the webinar at www.novacode.com events. If you're interested in the webinar but can't listen live, I'd still encourage you to sign up. Anyone who purchases this webinar or any of our other webinars can access a recording of the session for a full year after the webinar airs. These recordings are even available to those who are unable to participate in the live event. You can check out all of the Novogratic webinars on the events page. Just click on Webinar Recordings to access the recordings. In New Markets Tax Credit news, I have information about a support letter that the New Markets Tax Credit Coalition is circulating. The New Market Tax Credit Coalition is collecting signatures for a letter urging Congress to extend the New Markets Tax Credit Program. The program has expired as of the end of 2013. The letter highlights the program's track record since 2003. It says that the program has created more than 550,000 jobs and leveraged $60 billion in private investment to credit starved businesses. And the letter notes that the country can't afford to lose this critical revitalization tool. Fortunately, there is good reason to stay optimistic. The New Market Tax Credit Coalition does expect Congress to consider expired tax credits in the coming months. And as mentioned earlier in this podcast, Senator Ron Wyden is now chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, and Senator Wyden is a longtime supporter of the New Market Tax Credit and has said that he would make addressing tax extenders a priority. If you haven't signed on to the letter yet, you can do so until February 28th at www.nmtccoalition.org. In related news, I have an update on Senate Bill 1133, also known as the New Markets Tax Credit Extension Act of 2013. Senator Chuck Schumer, earlier this month, signed on to co-sponsor the bill. That brings the number of co-sponsors to six at the time of this recording. As many of you may know, if passed, the bill would make the New Market Tax Credit a permanent part of the tax code. Making the program permanent would give new investors more confidence to enter the market. And in the end, this means more capital for revitalizing distressed communities. The bill would also set the CDFI Fund's initial allocation authority at $3.5 billion. However, it also retroactively indexes the credit for inflation back to the year 2000, such that the actual allocation authority would be closer to about $4.8 billion today. The bill would also provide for future indexing for inflation. In addition to future indexing, it also would allow the New Market Tax Credit to offset the alternative minimum tax. To learn more about the New Market Tax Credit program, please contact my partner Brad Elphick in our Atlanta office. You can reach Brad at brad.elphick at novaco.com, Elphick spelled E-L-P-H-I-C-K. As you know, Brad heads up the New Market Tax Credit Working Group. Turning to state-level news, Kentucky Governor Steve Rashear has suggested doubling the state's New Markets Tax Credit. The New Market Tax Credit increase is part of the Kentucky Competes Plan for State Tax Reform. Currently, the state New Market Tax Credit program is capped at $5 billion per year. Under Kentucky Competes, the annual cap would be set at $10 million. 
To learn more about Kentucky's New Market Tax Credit Program, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. Also, if you have specific questions about the program, I encourage you to contact my partner, Dan Smith, in our Dover, Ohio office. He can be reached at 330-365-5402. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, I'd like to discuss legislation that was introduced to modify the qualifying methodology for the 30% Renewable Energy Investment Tax Credit. Earlier this month, in a bipartisan effort, U.S. Senators Michael Bennett, Democrat from Colorado, and Dean Heller, Republican from Nevada, introduced the Renewable Energy Parity Act of 2014. Senate Bill 2003 would allow firms to qualify for the investment tax credit for solar and other renewable energy developments that are under construction before the 30% credit's expiration date of December 31, 2016. Currently, in order for development to qualify for the 30% ITC, it must be placed in service by December 31, 2016. Now, place in service generally means that the facility is complete and capable of generating power. Senate Bill 2003 would replace this requirement and allow developments that are under construction before January 1, 2017 to be eligible for the higher 30% rate. This change is similar to a change that was made to the production tax credit back in 2012. Senate Bill 2003 is most beneficial to large-scale developments, though it would help all renewable energy developments that are attempting to claim the ITC. Senate Bill 2003 is receiving support from industry experts, as you would expect. Ron Resch, for instance, president and CEO of the Solar Energy Industries Association, said that Senate Bill 2003 is critically important to the continued growth of solar energy. Resch went on to say that the solar energy industry is the fastest-growing source of renewable energy in the United States, and it provides jobs for nearly 143,000 Americans and pumps tens of billions of dollars into the U.S. economy. To read Senate Bill 2003, go to www.energytaxcredits.com and click on the Legislation tab. Also, if you have specific questions, I encourage you to contact my partner, Stephen Tracy, in our San Francisco, California office. He can be reached at 415-356-8000. In historic tax credit news, I'd like to discuss a recent report about the Virginia State Historic Tax Credit. The report found that the credit has stimulated the state economy by nearly $4 billion, that's billion with a B, since it began in 1997. The report was conducted for Preservation Virginia by the Virginia Commonwealth University Center for Urban and Regional Development. It's called Economic Impact of Historic Rehabilitation Tax Credit Programs in Virginia. The report found that in the past 17 years, the Virginia State Historic Tax Credit has stimulated nearly $4 billion in investments, funded 2,375 rehabilitation projects, and created roughly 31,000 jobs. It also generated about $133 million in state and local tax revenue. Researchers conducted case studies on users of the credits and found that few, if any, of their projects would have been completed without tax credits. Others, though, said their projects might have been completed but at a lower level of quality. I would add that such projects most certainly would have retained fewer of their historic features. Researchers found that the state credit also mitigated or helped mitigate the economic blow of the Great Recession. 
It created jobs for skilled workers at a time when the construction industry as a whole was in a decline. More than half the projects, the report notes, that were completed with the Virginia State Credit also used the federal historic credit. The report said that despite all the historic rehabilitation renovations going on in Virginia, fewer than 25% of eligible properties have been rehabilitated. That shows that there's still a lot of work that can be done with the federal and state historic credit in Virginia, but it sounds like they're off to a great start. And in the end, the success of Virginia's state credit is great news for all tax credit advocates. While the report itself focuses specifically on Virginia, it shows in a broader way how state credits can attract private investment and add to the state and local tax base. And as states like Indiana consider replacing their tax credit programs with grant programs, it's great to be able to provide concrete evidence of the tax credit's effect on the economy. If you go to www.historictaxcredits.com, you'll find a copy of the report. You'll also find a copy of an Indiana bill that I mentioned last week. That bill asked the legislature to compare the effectiveness of that state's historic tax credit to a grant program. Now, if you have questions about tax credit programs in your state, I encourage you to contact my partner, Gregory Clements, in our Dover, Ohio office. You can reach Greg by phone at 330-365-5400 or by email at gregory.clements, C-L-E-M-E-N-T-S, at novaco.com. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik and Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.